0: Welcome to The Kitchen Stories, produced by the Jewish Museum and Archives at BC. I'm your host, Michael Schwartz. Thanks for joining us. Personal identity is in many ways the result of chance. History, location, and our own choices contribute to defining who we are. As we've heard so far through the series, food is a place where these three aspects converge. Today we hear from three young people who are using food as a means of finding and expressing themselves. Each reflects on where they came from and where they're going.
1: Food has the capacity, I guess, to bring so fluidly, like during an event or during that, that I, like that, whatever that thing is and it's always different, I kind of want to like capture that, I guess, in a sculpture.
0: Daria Akai is the spring artist-in-residence at the Burrard Marina Fieldhouse, operated by the Contemporary Art Gallery in Vancouver. During his residency, Daria has collaborated with women elders from a range of different cultural communities, cooking with them and learning the skills of their food histories. As a visual artist who frequently works with food, Daria is interested in the ways that storytelling and memories are embedded in the act of preparing and sharing a meal.
1: Um, Okay, so this is... Bitter orange um, oh. rind that has been rolled into a necklace and then cooked in, usually it's just cooked in white sugar so it's orange, okay. but I cooked it in like black coconut sugar. Mm. Um, apparently it's easier on your blood levels. When you make it, you first you, you grate rind. the rind yeah. so that it's not too bitter, but okay. my grandma told me to make a jam with that as well. So. Like The preparation goes that you, you uh, grate the rind for the peels and then you cut them into slices and then you make them into rolls and make a necklace out of them and then you have to boil them in water for 15 minutes and then let them cool in that water and then change their water every day for about 3-4 days. Okay. Until, and you taste it every day so that you, the bitterness is like at a level where you can handle it. So the sugar was really dark. Um, and when I mixed it, you mix the sugar and water and dissolve it and get it to a boiling. Um, and then after you've soaked them for that long, you cook them in that, in the sugar water until it, and then the, the grandma said that the syrup in between your fingers, when you go like this, which is like when you, when you put your, yeah, when you pinch your two fingers with the syrup in between, you gotta get, have to start getting like a little like tacky, like it's like there's a string. My name is Daria Akai. Um, I, am, I am an artist in Vancouver. I came here in 2005 from Turkey to go to Emily Carr University straight out of high school. Yeah, so I've been here for 11 years, going into 12. And I graduated from Emily Carr with a BFA and then since then kind of worked out immigrating here. Got a permanent residency a couple of years ago. Yeah, I've kind of made, made a home out of Vancouver, I guess. Um, so it's like there's maybe there are these landmarks in my life which the south of Turkey, Adana, the city that my um, both my parents are f- from and like their roots are from um, is probably a big landmark. I lived there for maybe five years and Istanbul is another one and um, I lived in when I was a kid I lived in New York as well. I don't really see that as a landmark. I think Vancouver will probably be like where I reset myself for the rest of my life and just like have as a home. I worked at the school as a monitor and then I worked in the school cafeteria. I started maybe understanding that the coffee culture is really big here, like the cafe culture, but I was always pretty disappointed with grocery stores. I remember that being Kind of as like going and then seeing these like piles of... Like you would you can go from one grocery store to the other and the exact same fruit with the exact same stickers are on them. So I remember that always being this thing that was like a bit like... These apples are like not apples. It doesn't seem like they're apple Like yeah. they're do, they don't have these like... They don't have bruises. They don't have texture. The dumpster on Grommel Island by the, the market. Mm-hmm. Because the market has a... Like the market is the epitome of like... The way that they kind of weed out an aesthetic food. Yeah. Um, I think maybe that, like trying to find the uglier food was, like how do you find the ugly in Vancouver is mm-hmm. always a, maybe, that for me it was like the the way into like finding things that maybe had a bit more soul. Food is huge, but then also like my mom's relationship to food is completely different than my dad's relationship to food, but mm-hmm. they also always like tease each other a lot about like, their relationships to food and mm-hmm. like kind of judge and criticize each other <laughs> my favorite food was um grape leaf grape leaf uh, dolmas mm-hmm. that were that, the warm style not the cold style so the ones with meat and then you cook it in like a it's meat and rice and like tomatoes and parsley and onions mm-hmm. inside uh and then you wrap them like a just like a cabbage roll i guess and then cook them in, yeah, like, t- tomato saucy. Different parts of the year, like, Ramadan has had its own. If my grandparents were around, especially my paternal one, she she fasted, so it would be... That was, like, a different relationship to food, and then, like, breakfast was a different relationship, especially because Turkish breakfast is really elaborate. Mm-hmm. And then summers were a different relationship because we would stay with the grandmas, and it would just be all about, like, what do you want to eat today, so then... All of the kind of like, the skills would be would be like shown off essentially. Like yeah. every day would be like a, a really heavy like meal that you actually sh- probably like shouldn't be eating at forty degrees heat in the south of Turkey. I remember there was like a divide in labor as far as like, grandma would do most of it, but my. Um, my grandfather was in charge of the onions because he could cut the like thinnest onions. That was his job. So he would just like cut the onions like in his hand without a chopping board just like doing it kind of these like slivers. Um, and then grandma in the kitchen would just like kind of be be there the whole day. And she worked, she still says I work pretty slowly. Oh, this is again paternal grandmother. I think my accent was more like listening and learning and not so much like hands-on my maternal so my mom's mom's mom was alive Mm -hmm. and she was kind of head of house I guess Um, so in her kitchen she was actually I don't remember her being very mobile she was I mean she lived up to like 2008 uh, definitely less mobile in the last decade she would sit in her kind of like chair and smoke all day and give orders so there was a lot of that, and, and I didn't actually start cooking until, you know, like, s- I was here in yeah. Vancouver, in university, and, like, hungry, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, you know, this, like, idea of authenticity, and that there's this, like, perfect recipe doesn't really exist, and and from like my grandma to to another like to the neighbor essentially it'll be a it'll be the same name for the same dish but yeah. the way that you shape it or the way that you like one person will add this and then the other person will use like Dill and parsley instead of like mint and parsley or something. It's funny because they're like, I don't know, like, do you put tomatoes in this? Yeah, you do, right? Like, she'll be kind of like questioning. But she was like, What? She'll ask me, she's like, What else goes into this? And I was like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) you're the one who does it all the time. She's like, I don't know. Like, I just do it different every time. But she would also warn me a lot about like asking people for recipes because people won't give you their secrets.
2: So, for my entire life, I identified as being Japanese, Czech, Canadian, um, and now I tag on Jewish to that.
0: That's Karen Glansberg, a longtime Vancouverite and a new addition to the Jewish community.
2: My mom is from Japan, and my dad is from the Czech Republic. Um, they met in Richmond, actually, in the 70s, and I grew up in Vancouver. Um, My dad came as, um, I believe he had refugee status. He left uh, Czechoslovakia in the 60s Mm. and he left illegally Um, so he actually um, lived in a refugee camp in Austria for a little while to get his bearings and then he was, uh, so he was an asylum seeker in Austria then he uh, got a flight to Toronto and made his way out west, so he's proud Canadian, loves it here. Uh, my mom came under different circumstances. She was a very adventurous person um, and wanted to see the world, presumably, so she became a flight attendant. Um, and she was based out of Hong Kong for uh, several years when she was uh, a young woman. Um, and then in Vancouver, they needed to have some native Japanese speakers. Uh, to fly uh, from Vancouver to other parts of the world um, or rather probably mostly to and from Japan Um, so she came as a flight attendant as part of that first cohort of native Japanese speakers and never went back to live that is I always kind of identified or I don't want to say identified but I always felt a closer bond or closer linkage to my Japanese family only because that country was more accessible to me. You know, my mom being a flight attendant and she often chose to fly the Japan route so she could go home and you know see family and do her grocery shopping and that sort of thing. You know, as a kid growing up, I had the privilege of, of going back to Japan on, probably every summer. My grandparents on my Japanese side would come visit us every year. Yeah.
0: What did they think of it
2: here? Um, they loved it. They loved it. They would always say... The Japanese family always says, Oh, the air here is so fresh. You know? That yeah. kind of thing. Um, coming from bustling cities. Yeah, and my, you know, my grandma would kind of take over the kitchen, take over the household, which was a nice break for my mom. Yeah. And it was kind of fun to see my mom take on the kid's role and my grandma take on, sort of, the mom mm-hmm. role. In Vancouver, Um, Everyone thinks of sushi or ramen as being Japanese, and they are, but those are just kind of the most high-profile Japanese foods. For me, um, you know, it's a bowl of miso soup full of vegetables, um, steaming bowl of white rice with pickles on the side. Uh, My favorite pickles were takuan, which is um, pickled um, daikon, and Mm -hmm. it's yellow, bright yellow color, and umeboshi, which is pickled plums. The really interesting thing about Japanese food is that it was all about share plates before share plates became like a trendy thing. Right. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned before that your, your mom would go home to, when she went to Japan, she'd get groceries. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff would she be looking for that she couldn't get here?
2: Um, she would, I mean, the one thing that sticks out into my mind is... Um, Japanese cucumbers Mm -hmm. I think nowadays you can get them but it kind of really depends on which type of grocery store my mom told me that when she first was living in Vancouver um, they were her and her Japanese colleagues and friends were unable to find Japanese foods in Vancouver so they actually made their own tofu you know for her to see how Vancouver has changed in the decades she's been here must be pretty crazy because now you can get not only can you get anything, there are Japanese specialty stores like Fujiya, you know, where you can get all these things.
0: And did your dad ever cook? Did you ever get like Czech food in the house? Definitely. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, you know, my mom, because she was a flight attendant for two nights of every week, my dad was taking care of us and making dinners and stuff. So, um, yeah, we had a lot of kind of, I don't know if they are, you know, sometimes traditional Czech food, sometimes probably European or Czech inspired. Um, He would make You know, roasts, um, maybe dumplings. Usually my mom actually made the dumplings and froze them, and my dad would just (laughs) serve them to us. Um, Goulash, like stews. Um, My favorite thing that he would make is actually just um, Mm -hmm. cooked cabbage with caraway seeds. I Mm. really liked. Um, I mean, maybe you could call it sauerkraut, because he would make it sour with with vinegar, but... um, but it just looks a bit different than the sauerkraut we see in a jar.
0: So when you go home for like family dinners, what, what is served?
2: Um, ooh, a variety of things. Well, there's always miso soup usually. Um, sometimes my mom will make chirashi sushi, which is basically sushi without being in a roll. So it's sushi rice with um, maybe you know, chopped vegetables or fish um, korokke she'd make, mm-hmm. basically croquette, it's okay. a potato croquette, yeah. um, so nice and soft in the middle and kind of crunchy on the outside, um, I really like her chicken karage. Yeah. um, it's a bit of a kind of laborious task, but, um, she'll make it for us still, nice. it's our favorite thing as a kid. I don't know if it's what I expected in the sense that like when I look at the bigger picture and never in a million years would I have ever thought that I would live my life Jewishly Mm -hmm. that's just crazy to me Um, even after you know a year after my conversion it's still so crazy because I still feel like I have a lot to learn Um, but that being said a lot of this stuff has come to me sort of naturally I think it really helps that you know that Jewish life is centered around holidays because with each passing of the holidays, you know, you kind of feel for me it's like that's the passage of time for me. I with my husband it's not about, you know, the anniversary of the day we met. I kind of count our anniversaries in terms of how many Passovers we've had together. Right. Because for me that was the first significant Jewish holiday we
3: celebrated together.
2: is actually to get into cooking more of the foods I grew up with Um, my family friend who's Japanese actually lives just down the block and I know she goes to Fujiya market a lot so I've been meaning to just tag along with her Um, somehow she's retained the knowledge of cooking traditional Japanese foods a bit better than I have so Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot I could learn from her yeah I mean you know sometimes Sometimes I'll try to incorporate things. We had it. We hosted a Shabbat dinner once, and our appetizer was spinach gomae. Nice. Um, so something a little different for for the Jewish crew. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was it was a hit. So we'll have to try it again.
1: There's always the like. It's like sometimes it's debilitating because they will be like, I want to make this thing, but I know when I start, it's not going to be that. Or when I finish, it's not going to be that. So, like, maybe I shouldn't even start. But it's not really the way to go. Uh, with food, I think I'm less... If I'm cooking for myself or if I'm doing a test run, it's less... Um, I'm less intimidated. Uh, but then, no matter how much I've practiced, I'm really intimidated when I'm cooking for groups of people. I think with taste, it's there's always... Um, There's always, like, an ideal of, like, with look and with taste of, like, what I want it to look like or or taste like. And it's always... I need to, like... I'm learning that it's, like, actually taste develops with time. Mm -hmm. Same... And I think the same thing with art. It's, like, you cook something and the moment you cook it, you taste it. You know, you can cool it down on a spoon. No matter how much you cool it down, it won't taste that good, because you're totally stimulated, yeah. and your palate's broken down, and it's really hot, and it's just, like, not a good-tasting soup. Yeah. And then you're just like, okay, just trust that you've made this thing, it's got, it's, it's still cooking, it's working, and I mean, it's, you know, you're not, like, continuing to cook, but the same thing I feel like is with a, a painting that you've made. You don't keep adding things to it, but you when you put it away, then you look back at it in a little bit of time. yeah It's like, You've calmed down about it, and yeah. it changes, or maybe I change, or I don't mm-hmm. know, like both of those things mm-hmm. change. So I think it's they're pretty much the same in, in the way that I, or my mind, or the, the way that they function. Yeah. With food, it's like, it's, it's always disappointing, and it's always okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: my, um, growing up, my dad would, you know, do a roast or something, mm-hmm. and he would put the fat in the fridge and it would solidify and become lard and um in the mornings we would you know before going to school or whatever he'd toast bread and and spread the fat on it but we knew there was something kind of like you know it was like the 80s when you're like learning about nutrition in school and that sort of thing and we're like dad are you sure we should be eating like fat on toast and my mom would come home from a flight or whatever i'd be like mom dad's making us eat like fat and she'd be so mad at him Another thing my dad would make, um, sometimes he makes his own head cheese.
0: Oh. But he has
2: to do it while my mom's out of the house because it stinks the whole house up. My sister and I like to joke about how he's like a witch like over his cauldron, just like over a bubbling cauldron of like gelatinous body parts. How do you make it? I don't even know. He um <laughs> he he goes to Burnaby to some random like wholesale butcher and gets whatever parts he needs, and I guess melts it down into big pot, and then it solidifies. Um, I don't know the intricacies of that, but I know that one time I accompanied him to that butcher shop, Cool. and he brought home bags of hooves, like pig hooves, and uh, again, this was when my mom was out of town, and he invited like a bunch of Czech friends over, and he baked those hooves on like cookie sheets, on baking sheets, And uh, I remember he pulled them out and I was just, you know, like I said, I'm not a picky eater and I'll try anything. But there was something kind of for me anyways, because I'm not used to seeing that kind of thing. It looked very unappetizing to me because it was like literally the hoof. I think I saw even like some hairs on it, you know, it wasn't for me.
0: So I guess that's like bone marrow or they didn't eat the actual hoof itself. Oh no, they bar? were
2: they were eating like. When I say hoof, I mean like kind of probably it might have been the ankle. Like there was meat around it. Oh.
0: Okay. Yeah,
2: so it was a bit higher.
1: When you cook with other people, it's also about like learning from them and them learning from. Yeah. To allow people to make their mistakes or something. It's hard though. It's like hard cooking with people because you're just like, just let me do it all. I had a studio visit the other day, and um, I was explaining the one of the food projects, and and I think she could kind of sense the like, what was what is the word? Not hostility, but um, the frustration, let's say, in my voice about one of the projects I did, and and how I was like, you know, it was like, all it was was doing dishes, da-da-da-da, like, (laughs) kind of ranting about it. And she was like, maybe you just need more help. And I was like, oh yeah.
0: (laughs) Justine, tell me about yourself, please.
3: So, I'm 17 years old, I'm a student at King David High School. I grew up in Vancouver, um, and I was recently on CHOP Canada Teen. I was born and raised in Vancouver, went to Tomatora, went to King David, Um, so yeah, my roots are all here.
0: Cool, and your parents as well, are they from here?
3: No, my dad's from LA, and my mom's from Montreal. Cool. So, I have one grandma in Florida, and then I have grandparents who, they have a place here, so they're here sometimes, they also live in Nashville, and they're also always traveling right now, and they're on a cruise somewhere in the world, so.
0: You mentioned that, uh, on on the show, you mentioned that your your grandparents were an influence on your cooking.
3: For sure, yes, my grandma especially. She's, um, she comes from a big Italian family, and um, so she's always, making big Italian meals for the whole family. Um, so she was definitely a big influence on my cooking. Um, and she brought in that Italian flair, I guess you could say. <laughs> my other grandma's a Hungarian, so there's definitely some traditional Hungarian meals um, that we would always look forward to eating at her place.
0: Nice. nice. Such as? Do you remember?
3: Um, I'm not going to say it right, but chicken paprikash, like the chicken paprika with the kind of gravy and the dumplings and she was said like the cucumber salad is very traditional um but it's always a favorite of all of ours yeah,
0: that's how you say it puffer cash
3: okay, okay good, <laughs> I got it right.
0: can you make that
3: um, she i don't think I can make it as well as her i she gave me a recipe years and years ago has to kind of dig it up to try to do it how she does it
0: when did you start cooking
3: So I I don't even remember when I first started cooking. It was something I was always in the kitchen. I was always helping my mom, uh, stirring the pot. You know, there's videos of me, like, can barely talk. But there I am next to the stove. Um, And so I was just always in the kitchen. And I was always first helping my mom, helping my grandma, helping my aunt. And then eventually, I would just kind of go in there and make whatever I wanted. I would would put everything I thought that kind of went into a cake, give it a stir, and then my dad would eat every bite of it. It You know, flour, eggs, not really measuring anything, just putting it in and stirring it together and baking it. Um, And then as I got older, I started to discover recipes and, you know, I loved um, finding new recipes, trying new things, doing my own thing. I loved people like Julia Child and finding her recipes, and of course I was always watching Food Network and seeing things there. So it was something I was just always in the kitchen growing up.
0: So tell me about this uh, chop, this TV show. How did this come about, how did you get on the show, what was it like?
3: So it was first, so my food teacher, who I've cooked with for many, many years, um, first at the JCC and at her house and all different places, and then eventually um, she got a job working at King David and so she got an email about it, um, that they were looking for teen chefs and she said, Justine, you have to do this. So, I, I applied online and um, I got a phone interview pretty quickly afterwards and I had an interview on the phone and then I didn't hear from them for a couple of weeks and they said, okay, we're in Vancouver and we're doing in-person screen test interviews. So, I went to this hotel downtown and they do an interview in front of a camera, see how you respond they ask you questions about food, ask you questions about your family, um, and then I found out, I was actually on March still Living when I found out that I was going to be on the show, and it was top secret, no one could know, I couldn't tell anyone, and here I am freaking out, and, um, and then the beginning of June, they flew my mom and I out to Toronto to film the show. So, for example, the person, the guy that got out first round, he did the interview right afterwards, mm-hmm. and same with the girl of the second round, she did her interview right afterwards. But then me and the finalist, um, we had to go back the next morning, so it's just we would have been there until midnight.
0: So, are you watching yourself on tape and commenting? No, on that? they
3: they have just a big book of notes, and they're saying, okay, you said this, and you did this, and you did this, and like, what was you, what were you thinking here? Um, and so they they're asking very prompting questions to try to get exactly what they want
0: (laughs) and you remember how do you remember it if it's all a rush
3: yeah it was definitely all a rush and some things they have to kind of really remind you or they ask you things you know oh then you looked over your competitor's dish and what do you think of that I'm like I don't remember like you know you have no idea they definitely try to build the drama and build the suspense and they they build a whole story for you to very much stick to that story
0: what were some of the uh crazy ingredients you had to work with
3: Well, the first round I had the canned flaked ham, which I've never eaten or seen or done anything with. So that was a bit of a, you know, what do I do? Um, And then paired with, you know, chocolate milk cookies and gorgonzola cheese, and then there's cherries. Um, So that was, I think, pretty difficult. And a lot of the judges said, you know, that was a really hard basket, and I agree.
0: So uh, was was it a stressful experience? Was it fun?
3: It was super fun, I found. I found, you know, it was it was stressful leading up to it and the anxiety kind of leading up to it but when I was actually cooking everything kind of went away and I was in my own zone and you know there's all these cameras and white lights and the kitchen is so hot because it's not a proper kitchen it's a studio kitchen and you have four gas stoves going and gas grills and then white lights and then so many people so it was just and you're running around so I found that you know it's very physically demanding Um, but when I was actually cooking I really I just was so in the zone and I joke with people, I think my mom was more stressed because she was sitting in a room watching it with all the other moms, so I think, I think that would have been more stressful for her.
0: Do you find uh, cooking is like a meditative experience?
3: Totally, like if I have a busy week at school or just have like a lot of stress or I just want a chance to relax, you know, make myself a nice meal or a good dessert or something like that really always just brings down my stress levels, like my calm place for sure, the kitchen. Yeah.
0: feel that this was like a, um, a good reflection of your abilities or like would you, prefer, if you had had your dream basket, like, what would you prefer to have made?
3: Oh, I don't know. It was, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting question, if I had my dream basket. Like, I think this was definitely a good, you know, test of my skills, and I've I never considered culinary as, like, my path kind of thing. I, it was always a hobby. It was always something I loved to cook, but I can never imagine myself, you know, working in the kitchen or doing anything like that. It's just a really hard career, and this at least showed me more that, hey, if you want to do that, you can. You definitely have the skills and the ability to and the creativity to. And so that was a really great validation just for me. As far as kind of my dream basket goes, I, I would never pick ham. <laughs> I'm very lucky how everything played out in the sense that it was all stuff that I could work with and I kind of knew what to do to some extent. So I think, you know, luck definitely played a big part in my winning. It was just, it was everything kind of worked out to my favor too.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you uh, like to use, like, uh, different international cuisines? Like, are you familiar with, like, flavor groups?
3: Yeah, I've traveled quite a bit, and so I love to kind of bring different influences throughout my cooking. Um, My mom also, she likes to cook all different nationalities, so I've also been surrounded by that. Um, So I love using, like, Thai flavors, Japanese flavors. Here and there, I'll, like, do some Indian, um, and then, of course, lots of Italian, and so yeah, I definitely love to you know explore new flavors. So my, mom, my mom's always been a good cook, and she's always been in the kitchen, and um, she loves to make new dishes, and you know, try not to repeat her dishes, so she's always been great. My aunt, too, is also a great cook, and we always lived really close to each other, and so I would be cooking at her house and my house. I would actually I would be at her house, and I'd call my mom and say, Mom, what are you making for dinner? And then I'd see her has a better dinner, and I'd go to that house. And then of course my grandma has always been a great cook. Um, and so just really been surrounded by those people, uh, my family that's really just pushed my food path and made me love cooking and love food.
0: Do you feel that uh, food puts you in touch with your uh, your identity, with your Jewish heritage, with your Italian heritage? How does that work out?
3: I think for sure. I think, you know, as I was saying, together is the thing that brings us all together. And so we, we have you know, big family dinners with everyone, and I always say we have like latkes and lasagna. Like, we have both sides of the family there, and um, it's you know, so many Jewish holidays revolve around food, whether it's Passover, the Passover Seder, or every week at Shabbat. You know, me and my mom always make a challah together, and so it's those kind of things of food that bring us together and that, that really help us celebrate and help us, yeah, help us be a family. You know, cooking doesn't have to be this huge thing. It can be something super simple, making a good soup, a good salad. And once you kind of learn the basics of cooking, you can make so many things. And so I think I love when I can just teach people a little something about cooking, and a little something about food. And um, it's it's sometimes it seems intimidating to the per- person who doesn't know how to cook. But really, once you once you get in there and you just start trying things, and and one of my, my favorite Julia Child quotes is, um, one mistake after another and that is how you learn. And that's always been something for me in the kitchen because not, obviously not, not everything I've made works out and it's not always how I expect it to be. And, and so it's, um, it's stuff like that, that's just you learn how to cook and you learn just how to, how to make your own food. And I think that's really cool.
0: Kitchen Stories is produced by the Jewish Museum and Archives of BC. Reporting, production, and editing is by April Thompson, with assistance from Elisa Lazier and myself, Michael Schwartz. Audio mastering is by Jeff May. We'd like to thank everyone who participated in today's episode and generously set aside time to share their stories with us. Subscribe to The Kitchen Stories on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. New episodes will be released every two weeks from now until September. If you like the work we do, please consider becoming a sponsor. Community contributions make possible all the projects undertaken by the Jewish Museum and Archives of BC. To learn more about sponsoring an episode or another JMABC project, contact info at jewishmuseum.ca. The Kitchen Stories is part of the JMABC series Feeding Community a collection of food programs offered through the summer of 2017. If you've enjoyed today's episode, consider signing up for a session of the Chosen Food Supper Club, a series of dinners hosted by some of the guests featured in this podcast. The Chosen Food Supper Club occurs on Sunday evenings through the spring and summer of 2017, with each session showcasing one style of Jewish cuisine, from a traditional South African barbecue to a Syrian Rosh Hashanah feast. Sign up today at jewishmuseum.ca. Feeding Community is sponsored by InstaFund, with additional support provided by the Jewish Federation of Greater Vancouver, the Jewish Community Foundation, the Government of Canada, the Province of British Columbia, and the City of Vancouver. Thanks for joining us. On next week's episode...
2: I was a feminist. I was a bit of a hippie. If my husband needed me to cook, Mm. he wasn't going to be my husband. Mm. (laughs)